1: Bruce exclusive welcome back welcome back we have a lot to talk about today ladies and gentlemen so I am gonna try really hard to keep this podcast under a bajillion hours long and let's see how I'm capable of doing it first off some newsy items the bills have released former starting left guard Quentin Spain today Brandon Bean commented on it and indicated that he didn't feel like Quentin Spain was pleased with his role this year after he was benched before experiencing foot soreness the last couple of weeks. I have mentioned before on this podcast that I felt like Quentin Spain was a better guard than Brian Winters, and I still feel like Quentin Spain is a better guard than Brian Winters. Qualitatively, there's something that you've noticed from the Bills' offense this year that you haven't noticed as much in tape from last year and the year before. The pin poll runs, the screen passes, things that require mobility from your offensive guards. Mobility is not the strong suit of Quentin Spain. What this move says to me is that the Bills are committed to that style of play. And are willing to have the lesser overall player start, as opposed to a player who might be better overall, but is a poor fit in the things that they are currently asking their offensive linemen to do, specifically that require a higher amount of mobility. The guard play this year for the Buffalo Bills has not been good, but John Feliciano is trending toward a return. And that will help not just with the quality of play, but also with the edge, with the attitude that is necessary to play in the trenches on both sides of the ball. A long time ago, I did a podcast with my former co-host where we talked about the McDermott mentality. The pod was called the McDermott Masterclass. And one of the things that we addressed is how does Sean McDermott as a coach, fundamentally believe that you play winning football in the NFL. And one of the things that I talked about at that time was Sean McDermott constantly referencing the ability to control the line of scrimmage on each sides of the ball. If you can control the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, it frees up opportunities for you to do different things on offense and different things on defense. But regardless of what your scheme is on offense or in defense, it's still a good idea to control the line of scrimmage. At no point in any scheme is it no longer advantageous to control the line of scrimmage. And one of the things that has happened to the Bills this year versus previous years is they're losing the battle up front on both sides of the ball. Now, it might seem odd that a team that is losing the battle on both sides of the ball decides to do away with their previous starting left guard. I have previously said on this podcast that I don't think Quentin Spain is so good that he cannot be upgraded from. I mentioned that a lot moving into the draft process, that he wasn't so good that he couldn't be upgraded from, but he's a reasonable starting guard in this league. But him being reasonable overall is not the same as his skill set being less than ideal for the style of offense that the Bills would like to run. And that style has behooved Josh Allen. So if you want us to go back to 2019's offense so that we can make room for Quentin Spain, you have to go back to 2019 Josh Allen too. And what I mean by that is the things that Brian Dable has instituted this year, specifically in the screen game that have really helped Josh Allen get a lot of those gimmies and get a lot of those easy throws are partially made possible because you have mobile guards. You have a mobile center. You have people who can get out into space and block on the move. It is a severe deficiency in Quentin Spain's game. That is not to say that Quentin Spain is a bad player. I just said he's better than Brian Winters. But clearly what this indicates to me is that they made a stylistic call when they benched him and they weren't going to go back. That ship has sailed. So Quentin Spain, no longer a part of the Buffalo bills. Speaking of being dominated on the offensive line, let's talk about bills chiefs because there are a ton of narratives to come out of that game, a ton of them. And I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get to all of them, but I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with an interesting comment that was given to me by a follower on Twitter when I mentioned shortly after the game that I was recently informed that there is a dive bar within reasonable proximity to my house and that dive bar has really good spicy honey mustard wings. And the comment that was given to me is, Bruce, how can you eat at a time like this? The Bills had just dropped their second consecutive disappointing loss to an AFC contender. And the Mafia was not feeling great about themselves. They were a little frantic on social media, pointing fingers, blaming people. Bruce, how can you eat at a time like this? And... I previously have had someone DM me and ask me to talk about something specific because they said, Bruce, you're not really a football analyst. I said, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. (laughs) They said, you're a football philosopher. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to steer into the skid. Sometimes I can get a little preachy. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I'm going to get a little preachy right now. How can I eat at a time like this? How can I think about food after things like that happened? The Buffalo Bills are special to me. I have previously talked about on this podcast that I moved around a lot when I was a kid. And I wasn't able to stay in a place to call it home. And so when people ask me where I'm from, I never really have a good place to tell them. Because I've never really spent a significant amount of meaningful time in any one given location. Some of the things that felt stable to me growing up were the things that were associated with the Buffalo Bills. So don't for a second think that my ability to recover after a loss is indicative of a lack of passion because I was always the new kid in school and I'm not exactly what you would call an overt people person. You may have picked that up. But for me, my love of the Buffalo Bills, watching the games, going to the message boards, this gave me a home. And it gave me an emotional level of stability. But this is where the distinction must be made. My love of the team gives me stability. The results of the play on the field do not. The fact that I'm able to share in this with people is what provided me that opportunity. Not the fact that the bills were good because the vast majority of my life, they have not been good. The vast majority of the franchise's existence, they have not been good. So them being good is not what is necessary for them to provide the value to me that they do. Them playing provides value. The interactions that I have Most of them positive, give me value. But I don't find value in just the fact that they won. I prefer them to win, obviously. But what I have found in regards to finding value from the Buffalo Bills is that I find value from the presence, I find value from the community, but I try not to tie the value in the W. So let's talk about that game that we were hoping would have been a W. One of the biggest narratives to come out of that game is the defensive game plan choice that the Bills made. I first started thinking something was up when the Bills rolled out Quentin Jefferson to start at one technique, Joe Biscalia from The Athletic. And I had a quick back and forth on Twitter when I said, so that's uh, something he said, yeah, they've done it a couple of times now. And I said, yeah, if I remember correctly, the last couple of times they've did it, the uh, the run defense results were less than ideal. He said, yes. Why, yes, they were. And that's what we saw again. So that was my first tip off. I actually didn't put it together until after that the healthy scratches of Harrison Phillips and Trent Murphy were related to this as well. So you healthy scratch Harrison Phillips, Trent Murphy, you start Quentin Jefferson at one technique. You play your linebackers, notably off the ball, and you drop them into zone the vast majority of the snaps. The defensive game plan was clearly designed in a way that they understood they would seed rushing yardage. The question is, was it a good game plan? I have heard it referred to as genius, and I have heard it referred to as scared. Before I give you my opinion, on that. I'm going to set the stage a little bit. How do you define a good piece of art? If something is a good song or if something is a good painting or a good movie or a good TV show, knowing full well that those things are subjective, how is it that you define something as good? Do you just throw your hands up in the air and go, I don't know. I like what I like. I would make an argument that there is actually a way of defining a good piece of art. There is a way of defining things that are inherently subjective. And you recognize that subjectivity in the definition. I would say that the way you define a good piece of art is based on two factors to what degree the piece of art accomplished its intended purpose and how much value that intended purpose has to the one who consumes it. For example, there is no such thing as a good horror movie to me. I don't find value in the genre. I don't find value in horror movies in general. There is no good horror movie for Bruce. I have never watched a horror movie and thought, wow, that was valuable to me. I'm so glad that I did that. At no point has that ever occurred to me. As such, no matter how well a horror movie is a representative of its genre, it will never be a good horror movie to me. It's not possible. Because the value that that genre provides me is zero. Now, let's move on. Something that does provide value to me a comedy i might not necessarily feel like a comedy at that particular moment but the way that i interpret how good something is is based on how well it does the thing it intended to do and then how much value the thing it intended to do has to me it is the same way with this defensive game plan was it good well you're gonna have to answer two questions number one How well did it do the thing that it intended to do? And the second part is, how valuable is the thing it intended to do? So let's break that down. First off, how valuable is trying to not have the Chiefs pass? Because that is the intent. The intent is to not get boat raced by the Chiefs passing attack. The idea is to take away the deep vertical shots to the tremendous amount of speed that the Chiefs have on the outside with Nicole Hardman, with Tyreek Hill against corners who are not known for their speed and can be beat over the top and not have that happen. So that's the idea. And this is a very important caveat to make. When you are game planning, against the alternate side of the ball, whether that's offense to defense or defense to offense, whether you stop them from doing that or whether you encourage them to do something different, either way, it's not getting done. The argument is, well, Mahomes could have passed on us if he wanted to, so it doesn't really matter. Maybe, maybe not, but he didn't. It doesn't necessarily matter why he didn't do it, Because the only intent was to get him to not do it. And if you encourage him and Andy Reid to do something else, that counts. Ideally, would you like him to try it and fail? Sure. That would be ideal. But the Raiders solved, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, solved and provided a quote-unquote blueprint against the Chiefs, and they still scored 32 on them. So if you stop the Chiefs from doing the thing that they're best at and encourage them to do the things that they're second best at, that's going to be a net positive. And I don't want to say stop it like they tried to do it and we stopped them. But it doesn't really matter if we stopped them. All that matters is they didn't do it. They didn't do the thing that we didn't want them to do. We encouraged them to do something else. Which means the Bills were able to hold them under their point total that has previously been their average for 2020. Think of it this way. Is Patrick Mahomes better than Josh Allen? Please tell me that you say yes, because he is. Every drive that you trade with Patrick Mahomes, that gap gets a little bit bigger. I'll try it this way. Sometimes it helps to quantify the qualitative to help you make sense of things. Let's say, for example, that on a scale from one to 10, Patrick Mahomes is a nine and Josh Allen's a seven. For the sake of this argument, let's just say that, okay? So you trade one drive, now it's nine and seven. You trade two drives, now it's 18 and 14. You trade three drives, now it's 21 and 27. And every single drive that happens, the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because every single time that happens, you're asking a player who is not as good as Patrick Mahomes to trade with someone who is Patrick Mahomes. As such, the less amount of drives that occur over the course of the period of the game, the closer that will be. So, would you rather have a gap of 18 And 14? Or would you rather have a gap of 27 and 21? I take the 18 and 14. The less drives that occur in that game, the less the gap will be accentuated between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's been playing well overall this year. He didn't play well that game against the Chiefs. He's been playing well, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. And so as such... The more drives you trade back and forth, the more the differences between those two quarterbacks and those two offenses are exacerbated. As such, how can you get less drives? How can you get less Mahomes? If I want to get less Mahomes and I want to get less drives, what should I encourage the Chiefs to do? I should encourage them to run the ball, even if I give up a couple yards doing that. Now, Bruce, 245 yards is more than a couple. Yes, it is. But we're not talking about the execution of the plan right now. We're just talking about the plan in theory. The execution is a completely different story. Every snap that Kansas City runs instead of throws is better than the alternative, especially because they do not have a crazy home run threat at the running back position. If you increase the number of snaps and you decrease the number of drives, you are adding variance, which is exactly what you want to do against the Chiefs. Because the Chiefs have a really good offense. You want to add variance to the equation. It's one of the reasons why I believe in having a backup quarterback who has a little bit of YOLO in there. Because if you're going to be at a disadvantage, if you're going to be at a disadvantage, Let's add some variance, because I don't need a big sample size. I only need to win this one game. Well, Bruce, that sounds like you're coaching scared. No, I'm coaching realistically. Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen. The Chiefs offense is better than the Bills offense. It has been for two years. So if you want to get an opportunity, think about it this way. Josh Allen did not play well. And the Bills were still... One inch on Clyde Edwards-Alaire's knee away from having the ball with the chance to win. Even though Josh Allen didn't play well because of the game plan. The game plan is one of the only things that kept the team in it after the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Now, I am not saying that the execution of that plan was flawless because it wasn't. You can see that putting in AJ Klein was the team hedging against their game plan. Okay, we understand that we're putting Quentin Jefferson at one tech, and we understand that that's going to lead to some opportunities in the running game. But we feel good about AJ Klein in the run game. We're going to put him in there instead of Tyrell Dodson. And then AJ Klein didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Tremaine Edmonds is still not playing well. Yes, he's hurt, he's also making bad reads. Those things are also happening. So, those things didn't help. So, when you have a plan, it needs a certain amount of execution to work. And the plan, even though it was executed badly, still had the team in an opportunity to win that game late. Think about this. The defensive game plan was successful enough that people failing to tackle... The defensive line failing to get off blocks, which was going to happen regardless of the game plan, because those are individual execution and losing one on ones. So things that happen outside of the game plan, and the offense not playing well, and Josh Allen not playing well, all those things happened, and they still had an opportunity to win that game late. I will defend the game plan. I fully recognize that the execution of the game plan was flawed. But you can make an argument that the game plan was one of the only things that actually went well, aside from the special teams units minus a 52-yard kick that went bad in the rain. The punting, Corey Bohorcus was good. The coverage units were good. They didn't make the same mistakes that you saw from Tennessee, where we gave them constantly opportunities to get short fields. But the defensive game plan and the special teams coverage units and punting were arguably the two highlights of the game for the Buffalo Bills. So I will defend the game plan because I do think it was a positive for that reason. There's a difference between something that's bad in a vacuum and something that's worse. Bad and worse are not similar words. Bad implements binary language. Good, bad, black, white. Worse indicates there's a gradient involved. So this idea that you're going to line up against the Kansas City Chiefs because you're not scared. Bruce, I'm not scared. I'm going to take them out. Great. So now you get boat raced in the passing game, which the Bills had been getting beaten in the passing game really badly. Against the Rams. Against the Dolphins. Derek Carr put up numbers. And you look at those games and you think, well, they stopped the run against those teams. Why couldn't they stop the run here? Because they decided not to. If you look at the Las Vegas game, the Bills decided that they were going to stop Josh Jacobs and make Derek Carr beat them through the air. He did well through the air and that's great but they absolutely bottled up Josh Jacobs but the offense came to play and they didn't put him in any really bad positions we got a couple plays on defense when we absolutely needed it and the Bills walked out with a W in the next game the Bills decided they weren't going to let Derrick Henry stop them Ryan Tannehill played efficiently the offense turned the ball over the special teams gave him terrible field position and they turned the ball over And the D couldn't step up and make a play when they absolutely had to in the passing game. So each time over the last three weeks, the Bills have walked into a game with a specific thing that they wanted to take away from the opponent and they've done it. The issue comes elsewhere. The issue comes from the fact that the offense didn't step up. The issue comes from the fact that Josh Allen didn't play well. The issue comes from the fact that they had opportunities for turnovers and didn't get them inches away from sacks inches away from picks. But that's not the defensive game plan's issue. The defensive game plan is not good or bad. It's better or worse. It's a gradient. So if you wanted us to take away something else, I don't know what it is. But that's what defensive game planning is. It's deciding what you're going to try and take away. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's an element of rock, paper, scissors to defensive game calling and offensive game planning. That people necessarily aren't really comfortable with, because every defense has a weakness. Everything. You have to decide what you are going to give the offense, and hope that they're not able of taking advantage of it as well as they would if you had given them something else. I'm completely fine with the defensive game plan. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to dive into more of the narratives from this game. Stick with me. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We were just talking about the defensive game plan against the Chiefs. Speaking of the defensive game plan, it was nice to see a little bit of different things from the Bills. Having Tredavious White shadow Travis Kelsey on the perimeter. Saran Neal was in on third downs as a linebacker hybrid, and he covered Travis Kelsey on third downs. That was the first game ever that Patrick Mahomes ran the ball 10 times or more. Because he just didn't like what he was seeing downfield. More indication that the defensive game plan, while it wasn't executed as well as it should have been, because some of the hedges that they made, aka AJ Klein, didn't work out as well as they wanted them to. But those execution issues were going to occur regardless. Tackling has consistently been a problem for this team. Not being able to get off blocks up front and getting tied up has been an issue so far for this team. And for those of you out there who might be saying, Bruce, we miss Jordan Phillips. We miss Shaq Lawson. I miss Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson too. I think they brought a wonderful energy to this team. But I don't think that that's a correlation that you need to make. Well, Bruce, everything else is the same. The only, we've isolated the variable, Bruce. Look, I'm going to use your turn back at you. We've isolated the variable, Bruce. Well, Not necessarily, because correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. In 1949, there was a polio issue in the United States of America. And every single month over the course of 1949, the amount of polio cases that were reported that month increased and decreased at a very similar rate to the number of ice cream sales In the country. This example has been used multiple times to describe correlation versus causation. When you have two things that appear to be correlative, here are the four questions you should ask yourself How often do A and B occur together? How often does A happen without B also happening? How often does B happen without A also happening? And how often do neither of them happen? If you look at the way Jordan Phillips is currently playing in Arizona, and the way Shaq Lawson is currently playing in Miami, and then you look at the way that Quentin Jefferson is playing, and you look at the way that Mario Addison is playing, you cannot look at that objectively and think, well, that's the difference right there. That's what happened. We missed Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips was not a good run defender. I might think that the run defense problems might have been worse. With Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson was a good run defender, but so was Mario Addison. The gap there isn't what you think it is. And as such, I don't believe that those absence of those two players is by itself indicative of a fall from grace from this Bills defense. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory because the Bills just lost. Everything is not hunky-dory. Josh Allen is being defended differently than he was last year. Last year, single high, cover zero, that's been replaced. Now, they're bringing pressure. But bringing pressure and going man coverage has been replaced by going with pressure and trying to take away the big plays. From Josh Allen and the Bills offense. Josh Allen must adjust moving forward. There are phases to defending quarterbacks. You might have book on a quarterback. You say, oh, this is the book on the quarterback, but that might just be the first volume of the book on a quarterback. Okay. This is how you beat Josh Allen. Then he decides that he can overcome and do better and beat that. Then there's a new book on how to beat the quarterback. And it keeps going and going and going. And the quarterback has to keep evolving, evolving, evolving until eventually the quarterback has seen all the looks that a defense can throw at him. And there isn't one thing that a defense can do to beat him. And that's when you truly know that a quarterback has arrived is that there isn't this one book on him that, you know what, if you do this thing against Tom Brady, against Drew Brees, against Aaron Rodgers, whoever it is, You do this one thing and you're guaranteed to be successful. For years, it was, well, you got to pressure Brady up the middle, but they didn't always pressure Brady up the middle. And as such, you could play man, you could play zone. Brady could beat you regardless of what it was. Josh Allen needs to evolve to that. He did not play well against the Chiefs. And that is a big part of the reason why the Bills lost the game. Justin Zimmer... Got signed to the active roster today. I'm happy for him. Justin Zimmer is not the answer. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today is the concept of the answer. This idea that there is a silver bullet out there where if Brandon Bean just pulls this one trigger, trades for this one player, signs this one player. This is the do something mentality. Sometimes the answer is that the players need to play better. We talked about that before. Sometimes there isn't always something you can do. And I understand that's frustrating because you want them to do something on a personnel standpoint. Do something, Brandon Bean. And you get frustrated and you lash out. And you say, just do something. Why aren't you doing something? Your inactivity is frustrating. But action for the sake of action is nothing. Change for the sake of change is nothing. Sometimes the best option you have is for the players you already have to play better. I'm not saying I wouldn't investigate anything. You would investigate, and you should investigate, as a GM and as a coach, different combinations, which is what you saw. You saw an opportunity for Justin Zimmer. Justin Zimmer is not the answer. He is an opportunity. He flashed a little bit. He was inches away from Patrick Mahomes on two different plays, the touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey, and the near interception to Josh Norman, in both cases, Justin Zimmer was right there on Patrick Mahomes. I admire his hustle. I love seeing defensive lineman hustle the way that he and Ed Oliver do. And he's a freak athlete. Sure, let's give him a chance. Defensive tackle, slow developing position, as we talked about last year with Ed Oliver. He's from Ferris State. So that's going to add even more to his trajectory as far as time frame goes. But if you have a freak athlete, he's been in the league for a little bit. Sure, let's give them a shot. But this isn't the silver bullet because there isn't a silver bullet. But you have little tiny tweaks that you do here and there. You evaluate the results. You go through the scientific process. And you start over again. And you keep tweaking and moving until you find the things that work. You don't just swing on the steering wheel and skid off the road. If you want to use a car driving analogy. The other narrative I want to talk about is the two-point conversion. After the Beasley touchdown, there was a question as to whether or not the Buffalo Bills should go for two. I am in the you-should-have-gone-for-two camp. I don't think it's a no-brainer to go for two, by any means. But this is my logic as to why I believe the Bills should have gone for two there. What you are trying to avoid in that situation is any semblance of a possibility that it could be a two-score game or more. Drives at that point in the game are at a premium. And the worst thing that can happen is for you to go down by two scores, nine points or more. That's the worst thing that can happen because you don't have enough time for drives. And as such, there was an option. If you think about this like a flow chart, there was an option that we could have taken that would have lessened the probability that the next drive would have ended with the Chiefs being up two scores. And that was going for two points. So because of that, I was in favor of going for two points. For that reason. They didn't do it. I would have done it differently. It's not a slam dunk. It's not an obvious call. Because Sean McDermott thought his defense could get a stop. My argument was, defense hasn't gotten a stop. Defense has forced him to field goals. And if that's a probability that has occurred in the past, then it's a probability that might occur in the future. And if it happens again, as it's happened before this game and they make the kick, that's going to put the game essentially out of reach for the Buffalo Bills. I would have been pro two point conversion. So we're going to have a little fun here. One of the things that people like to do is they like to pick at one thing. And that one thing alone that they believe was directly responsible for the Bills' loss. As you may have remembered, I am not a wins as a quarterback stat kind of guy. Because I don't think that in the ultimate team game, a quarterback can be so responsible for a win or a loss that you can put 100% of the win or 100% of the loss on them. So in the interest of displaying that, I am going to unveil the pie of blame today. This pie is made up of 100% as all pies are. It is a pie graph that I have strategically cut into slices based on my opinion of who it is that shoulders the blame or, if you guys like this particular segment, credit for the game. And I do this specifically to elaborate on the point that it's not one person. So, if you were to do this and cut this pie into sections and give each offending party a section of the pie representative of the percentage that they are to blame for this loss, this is what I have. 33% Josh Allen. If you're going to say wins are a quarterback stat and losses are a quarterback stat, quarterbacks are always going to have a big chunk of this. 33% Josh Allen, you didn't play well enough. 6% running backs. There were some holes missed. There were some opportunities that weren't taken advantage of the way they needed to be taken advantage of. 9% offensive line. Quentin Spain and John Feliciano are a markedly better guard combination than Ford and Winters. Ford and Winters have been poor in the run game and have really put the onus on the running backs to do more work than they need to do. Spain's not going to be an option moving forward, but the offensive line shares 9% of the blame. 24% defensive line. The inability to get pressure and to get off blocks and get really, really stuck to a not great Chiefs interior offensive line is concerning to me. 17% linebackers. Tremaine Edmonds, missing reads. AJ Klein, missing tackles. 7% defensive backs, some breakdowns on the back end. Not a ton. 7% on the defensive backs. Some missed tackles in the hole. Some opportunities that were missed in coverage. 4% coaching. Should have gone for two. A couple things I didn't really love. I didn't really love the offensive play calling on third down and one with Zach Moss, and then fourth down and one with the QB sneak. I understand why you did it. You didn't want to use the QB sneak unless you had to because of Josh Allen's shoulder. I get it. But this idea that you're going to pound everybody in, bring all the people in, Line up in a power formation and blow people off the ball when you haven't been doing that in the run game at all thus far this year, especially with the guards you have, means you didn't quite self-evaluate what it is that has made this team successful, which is throwing the ball. So 4% for coaching, 33% Josh Allen, 6% running backs, 9% offensive line, 24% defensive line, 17% linebackers, 7% defensive backs, and 4% coaching. One hundred percent. I think it's fun to kind of go through because it further elaborates the point that it's not all on one person. It's never all on one person. And that's one of the things we do in this spot. We try and dissect all the narratives from the game, not just one. We don't just spend the entire time ranting about one thing as that one thing was solely and sorely responsible for the Bills winning or losing. Because that's not the way football is. Football isn't that. 40 minutes is a long time for one guy to sit here and rant into the ether. I don't know if you guys heard. Maybe go back and listen. But my dogs made an appearance earlier in this episode. In the distance, you could hear them. And if they were here with me right now, what they would tell you is that you should make sure that you email me, I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com, your almighty takes... For the Jets game, DM me on Twitter, DM me on Instagram, tweet at me, use the hashtag Almighty Take, Almighty with one L, take is singular, make sure you do that or I might not be able to find it. Your takes for the Jets game, because I am recording that podcast on Thursday evening. I usually record it on Wednesdays. So that means you have another day to get those Almighty takes to me. If you are listening to this on Thursday when it drops. But until that Friday pod, I bid you adieu saying that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbles.